This is the Edify Podcast for the Servant. When there's a lack of brotherly love and Christian confidence among believers, then a revival is needed. That's a term we don't often use in the Lord's Church. We often call our revivals gospel meetings. Well, nobody knows what a gospel meeting is. No heathen knows what a gospel meeting is. I've had people ask me, oh, that is that where y'all meet about the gospel? What do you meet over? What do you talk about? It's just foreign language. We're crazy if we think the world's going to understand our language in terms. Anyway, that's beside the point. But but when, when we see um, a lack of brotherly love, Christian confidence, among the church, especially elders, deacons, and preachers. A revival is needed, a reviving of sorts. Uh, there needs to be a, law, a loud call for God to revive his work, a, a pleading to God. Psalm 85 and verse 6, will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? We need God to do this for us. We need a, a emptying of ourself, a pouring in of his spirit through his word, asking God to do this for us, leaning upon him, trusting in him, and, uh, and and being fervent about this. You and I need to expect a revival when there are dissensions and jealousies and evil rumors among believers. I mean, these things show that Christians have grown far away from God, and, and it's time to be seriously thinking about revival. Revival is, is needed when there is a worldly spirit within the church. See, the church is, has sunk into a, a low and, and backslidden state. That's a good old old church term, backslider. <laughs> when you see Christians conform to the world in their dress and their parties and they're seeking you know, worldly amusement, they're reading all kinds of things they shouldn't, they're viewing things they shouldn't, they're listening to things that they shouldn't. See, when the church finds its membership falling into gross and scandalous sins, then it's time to wake up and cry to God for a revival of our devotion, of our piety, our religion, our, our devotion to Jesus. Let me ask this question. I know this is for elders, deacons, and preachers, and ministers alike across the board, hymns and hers. Are you a careless Christian? You see, when, when sinners are careless and stupid, it's time for Christians to get to work as much as it is their duty to wake up um, if there's a fire, firemen are to wake up. I remember my time in law enforcement. If there was a crime being committed against the law of the state of Georgia, it was my sworn duty and obligation. Jake, you are to go and enforce the law and to cease this crime. If I did not do this, then that was guilt on my part. Christians, should we not feel guilt when we look at the world? We, we, we see people who are asleep uh, we see Christians who are asleep and sinners around them are sinking into the fires of hell. Should there not be a sense of compassion and, and upset and guilt and, and frustration? I mean, should we not care for the lost souls? If you as a minister, elder, deacon, find that you have lost in any degree the confidence of your people, you should work for revival. You yourself. I mean, you, you need to ask the question, from where did this start? Was this my preaching and my lack of eldership, my, my, my apathy in my work as a deacon, that people don't care and people within my sector, my group, my sphere, my scope are, are, are poor? Don't be surprised when sheep act like sheep. But see, for those of us that minister, there's an expectation for us. We know the difference. We, we should have a heart for, for these kinds of things. And, and maybe the people around us have lost their confidence in us and they have begun to wane. Now, I don't mean that, that we should act in certain ways and do certain things just to regain the confidence of the people. But a revival started in the church begins with us. This is the initiative to restore the confidence of the people, of the church, the, of the praying heart of these people. If an elder or, or a member of the church finds that his brethren are cold toward him, there, there's only one way to restore their faith. 
You see, it's by being revived himself and pouring out the splendor of Jesus from his life. You see, the fact is Christians are more to blame for not being revived than sinners are for not being converted. Let's talk about keeping the church alive for a moment. We've all seen it. A church is declining in, in this way, and, and it will not continue, and it cannot continue to exist without a revival. If it receives new members, they're going to be lackluster. It's going to be, you know, immediate swelling. It's just baptism of the children or, or family members. For the most part, these, these people are going to be ungodly people if it's an ungodly church. Without a revival within the church, there is not going to be even people converted to to cover the, the lack of death in, in those that move within a year. What do they say? Within 10 or 15 years, uh, or 10 or 15%, we lose every year based off people moving and dying. Well, are we at least baptizing that many? You know, are we are we at least converting people to Jesus that much? You know, the church may die, and the organization is going to dissolve if they don't do that without, without, a, without some revival. See, without revival, sinners are going to grow harder and harder despite the preaching. Your children, your friends are going to remain unsaved if there's no revivals to convert them. There's no, there's no push, no, no urgency. It would be better for them if there were no means of grace, no, no peace, no auditorium worship, no corporate worship, no Bible, no preaching, than to live and die where there is no revival. See, there, there's no other way for a church to be sanctified, to grow in grace, and be groomed for heaven. Let's ask this question. What is what is growing in grace? Is it hearing sermons and getting some new ideas about the church and the truth and theology and all these? No, it's not those things. See, the Christian who just does this and nothing else is going to grow worse and worse and more hardened, uh, and it will be nearly impossible to rouse that person out of the sleep of death that they're in. There has to be a spirit of prayer. If we're, we're trying to keep the church alive, there's got to be a spirit of prayer a, a, a revival can be expected when Christians have the spirit of revival and the spirit of prayer for revival. That is to say that, that when we pray, it's as if our hearts were set on it. Uh, sometimes Christians, they don't use a definite prayer for revival. I mean, even when we're inspired to pray, we're thinking about something else. We're thinking about the salvation of lost, the forgiveness of sins. We're not praying for revival amongst ourselves. But when we feel the lack of revival, then we will pray for it. See, people feel for their own families and neighborhoods, so they earnestly pray for them. We need to be well aware and well awoken to the fact that there may be needs to be revival in me. So let's ask this question. What constitutes the spirit of prayer? Is it fervent words? Many prayers? No, it's not those things, not big words. Prayer is the state of the heart. I mean, it's much like confession and, and the idea of repentance in 1 John 1, that, that we live in a state of continual repentance. We live in a state of faithfulness, that when we fall, we, we are praying to God and we, we continue that prayer, and we don't want to, to, to do that. Our prayer in revival needs to be the same way. We're praying for revival always. The spirit of prayer is a state of continual desire and anxiety for the salvation of sinners when it comes to revival. It can be even something that weighs a person down. It's, it's the same as far as the philosophy of mind is concerned as when a person is concerned with some worldly interest. A Christian who has the spirit of prayer feels concerned for souls. They're always on his or her mind. It, he, he or she thinks of them by day and dreams of them by night. It's, this is what it really means to pray without ceasing, First Thessalonians 5.17. Our, our prayers seem to flow from, 
from hearts like water. You know, Habakkuk 3, 2, O Lord, revive your work. Sometimes this feeling is very deep within us. And this this is this is by no means, you know, fantasism. It's it is just what Paul felt when he said, My little children from whom I, I labor in birth, Galatians four nineteen. This labor of soul <clears throat> is is that deep agony that people feel when they hold on to God for a blessing and will not let him go until they receive it. I don't mean to say that that it is essential to have this great distress in order to have the spirit of prayer, but the deep continual Earnest desire for the salvation of sinners is what constitutes the spirit of prayer for revival. There, there is a role in revival that that cannot happen. There, there's a role that's needed, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit in revival. When this desire exists in a church for revival, unless unless the Spirit is <laughs> grieved away by sin and these people aren't continuing in the truth, there will always be a revival for Christians. Generally, it, it will involve the conversion of sinners to Jesus. There was a clergyman once said of a revival among his people that started with a very zealous and devouted woman in the church. She became concerned with sinners and started praying for them. She prayed and in her distress. Uh, you know, all that increased, and she finally went to her minister, and she was asking him uh, to schedule an evangelistic meeting. She felt that that one was needed, and the minister just put her off. He didn't feel the same need. So the next week, she came to him again asking for a schedule for for a meeting. Let's have one. I'm, I'm, I'm distressed about the lost, and she knew people would come because she, she, she just, it was just within her heart. She just felt like that it was going to happen, but he put her off. So finally she said, if you don't schedule the meeting, I'm, I will die because there is going to be a revival. The next Sunday he scheduled a meeting. And if anybody would want to talk about the, the salvation of their soul, that he'd meet with them and, and so on and so on. And he was surprised to find a large number of anxious inquirers. That's, that's a blessing. Those kinds of things are a blessing. When people are so distressed, they, they read the Word of God, and the Spirit of God compels them through that Word, and they will not rest until they see it done. The Holy Spirit is involved in revival, number one, through His Word. It's how we know of God. It's how we know of the Spirit that God wants us to have. He knows He teaches us His His. His, his law concerning man. I mean, never underestimate the power of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. All of us need to be like the Thessalonian church and that we are God-taught or we are Spirit-taught, Spirit-led uh, Galatians. We, we are led by the Spirit of God. We don't by any means live according to the world. We're led by the Spirit. Therefore, we do not desire, desire or fulfill the desires of the lust of the flesh because we're, we're fulfilling the desires of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 and verse 32, God gives his spirit to all them that obey him. We know that. But when it comes to revival, it has to begin with the Holy Spirit. It has to, meaning with his word. It's how he does it. It's how he revives us. See, revival is near when Christians begin to confess their sins to one another. Usually they confess in a general half-hearted manner. I've sinned and I need the prayers of the church. Well, la-di-da. That's, that's great. Well, we all have sinned and we all need the prayers of the church. That's that's not good. That that means nothing. That's That has nothing to do with accountability. That's still ashamed of your sin. Uh, that's still ashamed of what people think of you. That's, that's, that's not good. There needs to be a confession of sorts to at least some persons 
that you can be accountable with and, and discuss this sin that has gone on. There, there needs to be an outpouring. Um, there needs to be an honest breaking down, a pouring out of the heart in confession of sin. The floodgates are, are, are soon burst open and salvation will flow everywhere. When one person will begin to tap that and break into that and, 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 and push the barrier of prudence in this, in this American world that we live in, um, that's, that's the problem. Confession and sacrifice and determination usually go um, by the wayside because we're still afraid of what people will think of us. See, a revival can be expected when Christians are willing to make the sacrifices necessary to carry it on, which includes forgetting what people think about us. We've got to be willing to sacrifice feelings and business and time and money and all those things that's going to help push the work along. Ministers must be willing to to expend their energy. This includes preaching ministers and and shepherding ministers and, and the deacon ministers and all these sorts of things. We're going to expend our energy. We are going to be blessed in our doing. The Bible is very clear. We will be blessed in our doing if we will do with a heart of love. We must be willing to offend the impenitent by plain and faithful speech, not by hate, but by plain and faithful speech, and perhaps offend many members of the church who are not going to repent. We have to take a stand regarding the revival, whatever the consequences may be. We must be prepared to go on with the work, even though risk losing the affection of the impenitent and the cold members of the church. The preacher, me as a pulpit minister, the elders and deacons, and everybody who's involved must be prepared, if it is the will of God, to be driven away from the place. Sometimes preaching those moving sermons are absolutely necessary, meaning it's the type of sermon that you preach and you're going to move, or it's the type of sermon that you preach and they are going to move. We must be determined to go straight forward, leaving everything in God's hands. There was a minister. He had a young man working with him on a revival. And the young man preached the plain truth, and the wicked did not like him. And they said, we like our minister. We want him. We want to have him preach. And they finally complained so much that the minister told the young man, such and such a person who gives so much money for support says so-and-so. Mr. A also says such. Mr. B, likewise. They think it will break up the church if you continue to preach, and I think you had better not preach anymore. So this leaves the young man. The young man left uh, the church. Um, but you can just imagine the Spirit of God had immediately withdrew from that place and revival stopped. The devil won. I know of a preacher who was preaching at a location and the eldership said, we want to hire you. He had been preaching alongside them. It was an internship and he'd been preaching there and the eldership said, hey, we want to hire you. Um, fill, fill out the paperwork. Here's the... Here's the um, Here's the the questionnaire. We want you to add, you know answer to these questions, and then everything was great. About two weeks later, he got up and this preacher preached a sermon on uh, adultery and and and, and the, that sort of thing. And and immediately the uh, eldership went to interviewing other people. And uh, when the preacher asked them, "Hey, I, I I thought you wanted me to work here," they said, "No, we we you never were in the running. We never wanted you to preach here. Sorry for the confusion." Uh, we wish you the best and Godspeed. Well, what had happened was, is there was a very wealthy member of the church who said, if you hire him, I'm leaving and the money is leaving with me. So evidently the church is for sale for those elders and they sold their soul and they sold the church to a very wicked individual. Uh, brethren, the church is not for sale. Uh, 
and and thanks be to God that that preacher did not have that work and he was able to move on and and be effective and faithful in other places. We got to be willing for that to happen. There has to be there has to be a trusting in the providence of God. We don't we don't work for elderships. We don't work for members. We work for God and we let Him do uh, what seems best. Second Samuel ten, jo- uh, Joab and and Abishai the the circling of the Assyrians and and the war that was at hand. Joab says to Abishai, if they're too strong for me, you help me. If they're too strong for you, I'll help you. We're encompassed and circled about. Let us go to war. Let us play the man. Let us be strong and courageous. Let us defend our God and our cities and let the Lord do what seemed best for him. See, that's playing the man. That's playing the man that you and I need to be when it comes to revival we have to be about that. We have to be willing to go between God and the devil and and go to war with the Lord and fight this thing, fight this subtle dragon uh, who's a serpent and a beguiler of sorts. I want revival, don't you? I want it in my life. I want it in my church member's life. I want it in sinner's life. I want there to be a reviving of sorts on all aspects of my heart and my work. That needs to be our plea. That needs to be our, our plea within our elderships, within our within our, our preaching ministry or connection ministry or youth ministry or evangelism ministry or, or whatever that you find yourself, wherever you serve, whatever is your ministry, pray for revival. Pray for it in all kinds of ways. May God receive the glory and may God bless you in the preaching and teaching concerning revival.